Hello and welcome to Welsh Music Prize Conversations, where each nominated band or artist from the 2021 shortlist will delve deep into a chat about their body of work. Croeso i bodlediad y Wobr Gerddoriaeth Gymreig, lle mae'r artistiaid sydd yn webu eleni yn siarad am eu albums. Mae'r deuddeg sgwrs yw clywed trwy AM, Spotify neu Apple Podcasts. All 12 conversations are available through the AM app, Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Be sure to let us know what you think about these discussions across our social media too. Fy sy'n i'r thyn bodda yn clywed, bych am at Welsh Music Prize. Here's journalist Keith Cameron chatting with Griff Rees about his nominated album. Dyma Keith Cameron yn sgwrsio a Griff Rees am ei album Seeking New Gods. I think that um, I really love Seeking New Gods because it, uh, I think, more than more than almost any other of Griff's records, I think it, it takes me to a, a faraway place and yet it feels like I'm going to this faraway place sitting next to somebody who I... Uh, who I know very well and who I also, um, well, I feel I know very well anyway, and who also, who's, who seems kind of really wise to me, and yet I don't always understand what they're talking about. So, um, and I think there's there's elements of that in all in all Griff's records, really, and I've, one of the reasons I've enjoyed them so much over over a good many years. So, Griff, how, how's things going with you? Yeah, um, good, thank you. Um... Just um, back home after a period um, playing playing a, a tour and uh, touring the songs from Seeking New Gods. Um, um, with the musicians who, who played on the record as well, um, it's not always possible. And um, uh, it was a record that came together really quickly um, because we'd played these songs live on the road. Um, so the, the recording process was really short. It was just about getting sort of good recordings. Um, and um, it, I suppose in that sense, it's lended itself well to being played live, maybe. Um, so it's been really enjoyable. Do, um, do you remember the time when you made the, those first recordings? Because you were on the road in America, am I right? Yeah, I released a record called Babelsberg in 2018. Yeah. And um, the band on the record was... Um, Cliff Skidlock on drums, and Steve Black, um, also known as Sweet Babu, on bass, and Oshan Gwynedd on piano. And uh, we did quite a long coast-to-coast -to -coast tour of America, um, touring, touring Babelsburg, um, and that, I mean, it recorded that um, there's quite a long period between recording that record and releasing it as well. Even though, even though there was no pandemic, um, and um, 
by the time we were on tour, I had loads of new songs and I thought it'd be great to try some out. And they were happening extremely quickly. Um, we'd practice one in soundcheck and sometimes be able to play them that night because um, they're such amazing musicians and um, uh, played so well as an unit in a way. Um, I was the weakest link musically for sure. <laughs> um, so um, by, by about halfway through the tour, I, I was uh, convinced, you know, that I, I needed to record an album and, um, well, at least document the songs. Um, uh, and I phoned up my friend, um, Kate Laban, because uh, just because she was in Los Angeles, and um, I wanted her advice on studios, because the last show was going to be in Los Angeles, and we could uh, stretch to staying um, a few days more. Mm -hmm. So she recommended you a place. Well, yeah, she was saying, well, I'm, she was recording an album in the, in the desert in, um, outside Joshua Tree somewhere. Yeah. And she said, oh, come, you know, come here, do a record here, I know someone in the studio. And then, um, so it was a sort of leap of faith. Um, but that studio fell through and then um, she recommended another one. Um, so we, we arrived the day after the tour and um, it's a studio called uh, Rancho de la Luna and uh, we had three days to record an album, um, other, you know, to get the basic tracks down and then uh, the studio didn't work the first day, uh, the engineer there, John, mm -hmm. was fix the desk and um, we were up in a in a sort of bungalow if you know a 10 minutes walk through some cactus and mm. ill looking Joshua trees uh, to a sort of bungalow watching the uh, Grateful Dead uh, series that had just come out you know uh, just waiting for the studio to get fixed and um, uh, ended up but, you know the next day we we went back about 11 in the morning and John was like what you know what are you doing here you know how, I don't know how swearing goes down on this um, podcast but um I'm sure they don't mind a bit of authenticity. Yeah, I mean, my accents would be bad. Maybe it's better that I don't try and quote. Okay. <laughs> you know, but um, it was, you know, it was a rude awakening for him. Um, you know, how how can you wake me up at 11? This is immoral, was the gist of it. 
and we were saying, well, we, we, you know, we were hoping to record, and he was like, oh, I'll come back at three. And he, he went back to bed, and then, so we had like a, about a day and a half in the end. Um, so it's not like going to the desert and taking acid and finding the new sound. It was just, it was just sort of um, a lot of waiting around, and um, finally we we went there and. You know, kind of set up, and we were there's a lot of bleed. We were all in the the sort of same room, or mm. less. I had a they put me somewhere different so that my um, voice was so they could record my voice, and um, it seemed really haphazard. It was it's just a house. Yeah. Um, but then when when the sound came back through. You know his recordings. We were like, "Wow!" You know how do how do you get that sound? It sounded awful in the room. And then when it came back through his speakers, they were, it sounded incredible. And he was like, "I I don't know. I don't know how I do it. You know, I think it's the ley lines." because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's quite a famous studio. This isn't it? It's uh, Queens of the Stone Age. Did a lot of their stuff there in, in the in, in their in their early and later days, I suppose too. And uh, um, I remember I spoke to Iggy Pop about this place as well because he, he recorded an album there with with Josh from from Queens and uh, and Iggy was very much his story was quite similar to yours. He was kind of befuddled that anybody would choose to use this place as a recording studio when it doesn't even look like like a recording studio. And he was very skeptical as to whether anything that he'd done there was going to anything worthwhile would come out of it. And then they played it back to him, and he was like, "Well, how the hell did that happen?" <laughs> Yeah, it's unbelievable, and you know the. I mean, I, I don't uh, reveal too much about the. I don't know, like gossip about um. Too much, but um, yeah, the, we. You know, we we. I think we were pretty skeptical, as well. But um, there's a saying in the Welsh language, um, which is like um. Um, it's like disappointments in reverse, where where your um, preconceived ideas are really quickly overturned in a in a good mm. way. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, it was a case of that. Right. And so you uh, did how many days recording there? Three, did you say? Well, it was meant to be three or, or was, two and a bit. It was one and a half in the end. Right, right, um, right. And then, um, so we only managed seven. Mm. And did you did you feel any evidence of ley lines at work while while you were there, or or you know, with hindsight, could you see what uh, what John was getting at? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose with the. Um, Yeah, I'd have, I'd have to look into it. I haven't, um, um, maybe, uh, I need to, yeah, I, I need to uh, look into that, I think. Yes. So did you realise that this was 
basically the beginning of a of, of an album. Did you did it feel like this was the beginning of an album at that point, or was it just a collection yeah. of songs that you that you'd got down? Yeah, it was pretty clear, and it had a really coherent sound, and sounded really full immediately. Mm. And um, we had another tour uh, a few months later around Europe, and we did the same, and we we went to. Um, Ali Chance studio in Bristol mm-hmm. um, after an European tour and recorded. Um, we did about four more tunes there, and um, we put about. We ended up putting um, nine songs on the album. I think. I mean, it's completely unrelated musically, but. There was a period of about two years around then where pretty much the only album I listened to in the house was um, uh, the Johnny Mitchell's record, which I don't really know how to pronounce. Um, um, let me go and get the record. Is, um, Is it? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what language it's in. Um, would you say Hegira? Yeah, I knew that. I kind of knew that was a record you were referring to. Yeah, I mean, I, I always say Hegira, although I maybe yeah. it's Hegira. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Hegira. Hegira <laughs> sounds quite interesting, isn't it? Hegira. Uh, I mean, you, you're Michael. the expert. You could, is, that, is, that, is, that in, is that in any way, does that sound Welsh to you in any way? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just like coming to Johnny Michael. Michael. <laughs> Johnny Mitchell, yes, <laughs> the well-known Austrian folk singer. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I was, you know, I was, great record though. I was into Whatever nine. It's called. Yeah, I was into nine, nine songs, al- nine song albums at the time, and. Uh... <laughs> right. Okay. So, so there's a bit of numerology coming in here to the story as well. Yeah. So the. I had more songs, but um, I thought um, uh, it, it's very much uh, a record made for vinyl, I suppose. You know, it's it's. Um, mm. I really wanted it to fit on two sides, and whereas yeah. there's been periods of making records, especially in the nineties, for for CDs, you know, as the main format, I suppose. Um, yeah, well, then then it was the case of more is more, really, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, and um, even, uh, even a 50-minute a album felt good when a lot of people were releasing, you know, and, an hour, twenty minute rap odyssey, you know, like it was. We felt um, good about, you know, maybe, you know, fifteen songs as I mean, and mm. it was quite a commitment, really, listening to records that long, isn't it? Yeah, it's slightly different. Um, 
yeah, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot to get into. But I suppose with a, a record that's a bit shorter, you can memorize every every second of it mm. fairly rapidly, and um, yeah, get in, get to know it so much quicker. Um, the, yeah. Yeah, it's almost like because the nineties, the nineties were the last decade before the internet really took over, and uh, I think you know the you know, the theory that people's attention spans have become so much fr more fragmented uh, in the internet era because there's so many more um, inputs or uh, you know kind of uh, diversions for their attention. So uh, you know, so so therefore, sh you know, an album that's a nine-song album or a two, two an album that takes up two sides of a of a vinyl record now is a kind of more manageable or a more logical uh, length, really, in this uh, in this in the era of the attenuated attention span. Whereas the nineties, <laughs> obviously, that's not the case that people had all the time in the world. But you know, people were releasing. You know, the sixty minutes was almost the was almost the standard for a standard length of a of a CD album. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose albums are becoming. You don't even have to finish a record anymore. I suppose you can just start releasing things immediately, and um, or do like can you and change change it as you go along, and yeah, then um, remix it, and you know, yeah, I don't know. But, but it's um, yeah, there's a record. Um, I wanted to commit to and finish and mm -hmm. make it really coherent. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you've, you've mentioned that the personnel on the record were the people who you were playing, who were on tour with you for the Babelsberg uh, record. Um, you mentioned their, their names. Do you want to tell us what they kind of, what they bring to the, to the record and, and, to the, and to the live band experience? They all, I mean, I've, I've seen them play and they, they all really, they pretty much go for it, don't they? They're really pretty heavy, heavy players. I mean, obviously Cliff, Cliff is quite a visual, expressive drummer who really hits hard, but the other, the, the other players do as well, don't they? Yeah. Um, I suppose Cliff Seidel is John Bonham. He's from that school of drumming, so it's, you know, yeah. very loud and, um, but, but subtle as well. And, you know, um, well, he's a pretty incredible drummer. Um, and uh, we all would have seen him playing with the Flaming Lips for over a decade, and um, mm -hmm. um, and then um, Oshan Gwynedd, um I've known for decades, um, playing in in bands here in Wales, um, and he's my neighbour still, um, and. Uh, he's been a drummer as well, so uh, people theorise that he plays piano like a drummer. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. That's that's really yeah. That makes a lot of sense actually. <laughs> so, yeah. so got, like two drummers playing different instruments, and then wow. uh, Steve Black, Sweet Babu is a, a sort of. I mean, I imagine he can play any instrument, you know. But um, on the mm. he's in bass player um, and um, he plays like Carol Kay or Paul McCartney or someone and 
um, it's um, astounding what he brings to well his own records and mm-hmm. obviously the records of um, Kate Laban and um, and and many others. Um, so so it's a real um, supergroup. <laughs> it's it's a real supergroup, yeah. Um, and and did the and did the, the did those people being involved from the very outset, you know, from when the songs were being composed, um, did that did did that dictate the uh, the kind of musical character of the record as we all now hear it? Yeah, I mean, we would have been in a van for a month together. Uh, we we had no crew or anything um, uh, touring in the states. Um, so we were listening to the same music, um, you know, for for a, a steady period of time, and so so we had that connection going into the studio. Um, I mean, Cliff brings a lot in terms of um, his attention to detail, as a, a high resolution a fan of high resolution recordings, you know. Um mm-hmm. he's a, a massive Neil Young fan and um he fully undertook the Neil Young's journey into high resolution through porno and um Right, right. Oh, did did he get porno? Well I think he's beyond porno now, you know, but but yeah. he had the porno full porno experience. And um, so, so I mean, in a in a studio situation like that, where where it's haphazard, and we turn up, um, uh, you know, with an engineer we don't know, for example, um, Cliff was armed with hard drives um, so that we could record that. You know, full full res and um, just made sure everything was. Um, but but also in in the post production, um, one of uh, Cliff's contributions to, to the record was. Um, Well, it's a very long story, I suppose. Um, as I mentioned, the recording was extremely swift. Um, the songs on the record took three days, and then did m- maybe be. I did a day of overdubs with um, Leon Robertson in Cardiff. Um, and then an- another couple of hours with him recording Lisa and Mirren, uh, who's singing on the record. Lisa Jane and um, Mirren Have Roberts from yeah. the band Nainbach. Um, they came over to my house after a gig and we set up some mics and recorded them in a couple of hours. Um, I did um, some synth and guitar overdubs with Ali Chant in Bristol. Um, but I mean, the it took less than a week, I suppose, to record and then um, I mixed it in five days with uh, Mario Caldazzo, um, 
in Los Angeles. I went, went to his house for five days. We did two songs a day. So it's extremely swift because it's such a simple record. Mm. And then um, I had it all finished uh, in August 2019. And then I had it kind of mastered by Mario's mate. And that would have been that, except the pandemic hit. And they had a lot more time to listen to it and, and refine it. And I ended up mastering it uh, three times. And in the end, um, yeah, we, we sort of, I've never spent as, as long mastering a record. I mean, it was months, you know, we were going through it, through the record with a fine comb. Right. Um, on Cliff's computer, um, kind of shaving off any any kind of unnecessary noise and um, it, it was a real um, sort of painstaking mastering process, which I've never, I suppose, which in the in the past wasn't even possible, but now if you have computer technology and the time. Yeah. Uh, a mastering process that used to take 12 hours can take, you can spend a year doing it. <laughs> so it was a, that was the thing that took the longest was the mastering. So wait, I mean, in layperson's terms, can you can you just briefly explain what mastering is and what what different what impact it can have upon a record? I mean, you you said you did it three times. I mean, is it quantifiable what you did now listening to the record? Can you say, oh yeah, well that that sounds so good now because we mastered it three times? Um, yeah, I suppose you, you can EQ record. I mean, to in really simple terms, it's a, it's like using a, a graphic equalizer that, that can give enormous detail. Right. Um, so a lot of it is about the EQ, so just put more treble on it or more bass. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but you can uh, uh, compress it a lot as well. You, you can squash the sounds to make them more cohesive. Uh -huh. um, um, to know how to to put it simply. Um, no, that's that's that, that's 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 fairly simple. Okay, <laughs> and and do you think? was that time well spent? Do you think, or did you? Is it possible that you maybe got lost in the whole in the whole process at various points, lost in the detail? Um, well, in in the sense that the simplicity of the record kept it. You know, there's only so much you can do, yeah. um, but it, it it was more. Um, the original mastering. Um, took took tiny elements of the. Bandwidth and. Uh, had the facts added to 
um, certain frequencies of the sound, um, for example. Um, so it's just a matter of um, getting rid of um, bad S's and stuff like that, you know. Bad S's? Uh, yeah, so it, it, it wasn't, an, it, it's nothing you can hear, but but if we hadn't have done it, it, it would have been a bit of a, uh, it wouldn't have been as good a listening experience, I think. So yeah, right. it, it made sense, but it, it did drive me, you know, pretty insane by the end. <laughs> <laughs> and and do you, I mean, do you think this was a partly a function of the fact that you did it three times? This was partly a function of the pandemic, the fact that you had all this time on your hands or space to fill in terms of time. Yeah, I've never listened to a, a record so much, you know. That mm. it, of all my records, it's the one I've listened the most to. Um, because I had to compare, you know, tiny differences of uh, between masters and um, uh, the album combines mastering from different people and right. um, and then we sort of then we remastered the <laughs> the masters. Um, yeah. So it's uh, yeah, quite uh, ended up being quite an undertaking. It sounds like you've you've obviously um, you're uh, obviating that any any need to re to remaster this record in ten years' time, as has become the uh, as has become the modern way. You know, we're going to remaster this record and make it sound even even bigger and brighter and louder. Well, but you've 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 already done it three times. Well, I don't know. It, it, it's <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> oh no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just enjoy it now for what it is. <laughs> so you said that you were in the in the van in America touring the Babelsberg, and your these songs were coming to you. And you mentioned that the you were listening with the other people in the band to the same. Obviously, you were trapped in a van. You were a captive audience, all of you, and you were listening to you know like these records are you know, the same. You're all listening to the same music at the same time in the van. I mean, you've you've suggested therefore that 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 music kind of infiltrated onto into the songs, into the into the compositional process of the songs on Seeking New Gods. Is that right? And and, and what what music was this? Um, oh, it was a, it was a real mixture. But I think one thing we did um, we were able to do just because of the distances of the journeys was listen to. Um, long pieces of music mm. and um, I mean my songs are always pretty simple pop songs in a way um, but maybe they got um, stretched out a bit more we, there's no click tracks or we, you know we weren't playing to a pulse or anything mm. it was a very free thing and although they they're just pop songs in a way that um, um, we were listening to early 70s Miles Davis and um, Laurie Spiegel and really kind of 
langen. We hebben er een muziek, want we hebben zoveel tijd om te doen. En ik denk dat... Zo niet simpel stuff at all, really. No, so it kind of helped us stretch what are quite simple songs into into something more intricate, hopefully. Um, although the most enjoyable musical sort of experience on the journey was um, we did a tourist visit to um, Um, to Paisley Park, Prince's studio, mm. and um, that gave us an excuse to listen to Prince for uh, for two or three days and leave the next Um And um, yeah, that was a real highlight of the tour. What, what's it like now? Is it is it is it still a functioning studio, or is it kind of set up as a museum now, or what? Yeah, it's been taken over by um, uh, the people around Graceland. Oh, wow. The uh, house. So it's, I mean, everything looks uh, usable still, but um, yeah, it's, uh, you do a kind of museum style tour around the complex and, mm. um, and there is, yeah, pretty, pretty insane. It's like a, it's like a, a better built B and Q or something on the side of the, of the, <laughs> the highway, yes. with a big, with a big cab pack. Um, but, but it's, um, I mean, it was quite a moving and shocking start of the tour because um, that they don't warn you but um, Prince's ashes are kept in a miniature version of the studio in a perspex oh, wow. uh, placed on the wall uh -huh. that's his urn and next to it there's a cage of live doves oh, my God. And, um, so within two minutes of entering the building, you're you're given five minutes to be alone with Prince. <laughs> wow! <laughs> uh, so that was a pretty heavy experience, you know. And, uh, Good grief! I hope somebody feeds the doves regularly. Yeah, I hope they get get to um, go out and play a bit and. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I was lucky enough to go there once in 1989, and there was um, <clears throat> there was a drum kit set up in a in this in, in one of the rooms, and you know, and I, <laughs> I said, "Whose drums are they?" <laughs> Forgetting, of course, that Prince play, plays everything, you know. Yeah. And, and the guy showing us around the studio looked quite offended. He said, well, "Those are Prince. Those are Prince's drums, of course." <laughs> I said, "Okay, yeah, they are they are purple after all." So, <laughs> wow, it's crazy, isn't it? The kind of um. The massive venue at the side of the the studio. Yeah. You go through a little door, and suddenly you're in a five thousand capacity venue or something. And yeah, the whole place is quite remarkable. And as you say, it just looks like this faceless, you know, kind of breeze block structure that's been plonked on the side of the motorway. 
And yeah. you, you, you're kind of expecting, well, I was expecting anyway, in my naivety, like, you know, it's called Paisley Park and it's going to be this kind of wonderland, this psychedelic, you know, you know play park. Yeah. <laughs> it really isn't at all, at least not from the outside. Yeah. Uh, it's like, yeah, it's a beautiful... Um, yeah, it, I think it's weirdly aging well, you know. Yeah. Um, so, so you've got all these songs. You've you've got this record that's finally uh, mastered and 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 completed. Um, now that you've said that the record is, uh, I don't know what's what's the phrase. Um, Compose. Well, the, the quote on the on the sleeve says it's uh, the album and its component songs are all inspired to varying degrees by events relating to Mount Peak to. Um, now, the, can you explain what Mike Peak Two is? It, it's it's a it's a volcano. Am I am I right? Yeah, it's um, it's a volcano. Um, that that's very auspicious, especially for the Korean people. Um, and they came across it. Um, let me um, find his name again. Um, I was reading a book about um, a film director. Um, a Korean film director. Um, and um, there was a passing reference to this mountain. Um, and I just thought it was a beautiful name, and um, I uh, I started looking up the history of it, and um, there's a lot of mythology around the mountain, uh, and also a lot of um, kind of some of the explosions, you know, were heard in. You know, we recorded in Japan in in the last millennium. You know, in well, two millenniums ago. You know, like it's been recorded by different cultures um, and mm. affected different cultures in different ways over a very long time. Mm. Um, and um, like a few years ago, I found it. I mean, but accidentally, but um, I, I wrote with um, Boom Bip. Um, I did a record about John DeLorean yeah. um, with Neon Neon and um, fell into writing a biographical album. And then I, um, we did another one on John Giacomo Feltrinelli, the communist Italian uh, publisher um, and then I did one about John Evans and I thought I was it was really good finding a new way of writing songs but I thought I risked repeating myself you know so so I was looking for new ways of um, being inspired you know and 
I thought it would be a good idea to maybe write about a biography of a mountain or something that spanned more than a human lifespan. Mm-hmm. And um, and then ultimately I, I felt maybe I wasn't the right person to be writing about something that's so, so important for, well, especially the, the Korean people. And so it, it became more abstract and I ended up writing a lot about myself, I think. And, um, but, but that was the starting point, you know, that um, some songs are more specific to events on the mountain, like um, Holiest of the Holy Men. Mm-hmm. Is still a kind of remnant of when it was a full-on concept album, right? Um, and a lot of the 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 more specific songs I wrote, I, I left off because they they just sounded awful. You know, the they they scanned really badly lyrically, <laughs> right? Um, and especially when touching on mythology and things, you know, they, it was unacceptable. <laughs> Uh, I mean, obviously, to an extent, and, and correct me if I'm totally off beam here, but you know, the, writing about John DeLorean, writing about John Evans, you know, writing about Mike Peake, too, uh, would it be fair to say, to some degree, these are ways of writing about yourself too, but not being too obvious about it? Yeah, I, yeah, I end up writing about myself, and um, but it's. Uh, but then, if I hadn't have found a way of getting inspired in a way, they wouldn't have been written. So um, it's, mm-hmm. um, I suppose, for me, it's just a chance to maybe try and write differently and not repeat myself. I'm, I'm destined to repeat myself anyway, because you, you know, I'm, I'm the same vessel that wrote all the other songs and that it's unlikely I'm going to be able to write something extremely different, but I, I give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, the motivation is always there, if not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, I mean, obviously, that you know, in, uh, in Mountains of My Former Self, I mean, that seems to be pretty much definitely about both you and the mountain, really. A crater for the greater good, smoking away as it should. That's a that's yeah. a lovely line. It could be a, both a person and a mountain. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was. Um, I played the venue once in Philadelphia. It was like um, an art space, as I mean, hmm. an an anarchic art space um, called um, the Mausoleum of Modern Art. Um, and they had like a fake kind of um, corporate museum logo and stuff, you know. Right. Um, where I went to die, sort of. Um, <laughs> um, so I must have had that in the back of my head um, with that one. Um, and, um, and I suppose it just. The the, I suppose Ashan Gwyneth keeps these songs um, whole. You know, like the the piano 
the dominant really as as it's sometimes it's almost the only instrument um, uh, there are very few guitars um, that mausoleum I mean for myself being a an exception but um, mm. uh, there's a, a kind of acoustic guitar driving that one um, but I think that's the only maybe the only acoustic guitar on the record um, mm-hmm. uh, I added uh, a Selena synth wash over everything, uh, like a drone of the whole album. Right. Because um, I was also going through a, a Michael Rother obsession. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, and the a Klaus Dinger when I think I had another period of time just listening to Noi and all the spin-offs of Noi. Well, more, more of the spin-offs than the the actual band. Yeah. So like, like the Michael Rother solo records and like the Sildorf and mm. Thomas Dinger and stuff. And, um, loads of uh, euphoric something synth synth faced synth drones that represents a kind of a time of um, utopian modernism mm. in music yeah well it was an era when when i think people were still quite optimistic about you know how technology could direct the future in in, in all terms in all walks of, of life i suppose and, Art, art being just one of them, I suppose. Yeah. There's a, there's, there's, I was wondering about something that you're credited with playing on the album. Is it multi-bow? Yeah. Um, Is that a type of synthesizer? It's... Um, there's a Brazilian instrument, the birimbau, which is like ah. a, a drum with a, a steel yes. layer. Yeah. Um, well, like a string, um, and um, I think some experimental instrument maker had um, sold uh, Mario Caldazzo a kind of um, an abstract vision of of a birimbau um, with loads of different drums and different strings and. You kind of um, glide balls along the strings, and um, it, it, it's like a. It looks like a Harry Patch instrument or something. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I was asking Mario, "What do you call this instrument?" And he said, "I don't know. Maybe multi bow. Uh, I think I think he made it up. I don't know." Um, and what does it sound like? Um, oh, it makes because I can't play it properly. I just kind of um, it makes of um, the squeaking sounds on a song called "The Keep," 
All right, yeah. yeah. In, the, in the second verse, there's um, some sort of uh, environmental squeaking sounds. Do, uh, tell us about um, the contributions of the, that Lisa and Moraine make to the to the record. Their their voices are um, quite prominent at certain places. What what qualities were you hoping that they would bring when you added them on? Um, well, I've sung with Lisa for many years. Um, we're from the same town, so maybe we have the same accent. Mm -hmm. I think if you're singing with someone, it really helps. Um, and so I'm used to singing harmony with Lisa, and then she sings in a band with Mirrain, uh, called Nine yeah. So they're used to singing together. Um, and they also sang on Peoplesburg, and um, it just makes it extremely easy, you know. Um, they're like uh, family friends, and um, uh, Mirain's mum used to teach me piano when I was six for three months, but you know, until they figured out I could I couldn't play it. But, um, <laughs> um, yeah, so it, it's. Um, They've got uh, beautiful voices, and mm. um, and also I think it's about uh, playing with, you know, people. I I kind of claim the songwriting because I I kind of um, I kind of you know sat down with a piano or a guitar and and I I sort of wrote the songs and um but in terms of the people who play on the record they wanted to play with i mean everyone involved could write a song um and and do you know and um a, a very good songwriters in their own right so um i don't really have to explain a lot you know, I, I bring in a song and then uh, I'm I'm working with people I, I really trust and I've known a long time and uh, who can uh, finish my sentences in a way, you know. I, I don't have to... Um, so I'm, I'm very indebted to, to all of them. And um, 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 just the um, a lot of the harmonic ideas and arrangements by uh, Lisa Mirren and Oshan as well. I you know uh, they really help craft it all. You know, and mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you about the artwork as well because it's I mean it's such a it feels like a, a beautifully um, conceived whole both musically and visually i think this this album and i mean all, all yours do really but this one is, i think is especially so um where, where did the idea for the artwork come from max got incredible mac james who designed the sleeve mm -hmm. um incredible imagination um and incredible sort of engineering skills with making sort of flat 
flat pack constrictions and things. He he um did that for my Candylion album. He did a, a kind of um three D flat pack version of uh, Pete Fowler's um Candylion. Um and uh, so he, he's someone I've worked with um for you know over twenty years, uh, Mark and um, we we um, we have really sort of intense sessions, you know, developing ideas and um, um, but but the idea to uh, create um, I mean. Mount Pektu isn't a kind of traditional triangular volcano, um, but an envelope is, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, where the artistic license comes in. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, you know, I'm happy enough that it's it's an abstracted vision of the mountain anyway. So, um, yeah. um, so it's become a new thing and. Um, yeah, I was, I was uh, pretty amazed at, at what he came up with. Um, yeah, just just refining it, but th- th- it was an idea that Mark got quite early on, and um, well, it's a, it's a brilliant looking record, and a, also a, a brilliant sounding record too. Um, your, what are your previous solo records? Not the first one, but I guess maybe the first one that was, I suppose, really widely available, Hotel Shampoo. Actually, that's not true, because Candy was before that, so scrub that. But Hotel Shampoo won uh, the Welsh Music Prize in 2011. Um, do, do awards matter to you? Um, well, I think... Uh, I think in, in the context of something like... Um, the Welsh Music Prize, um, if it didn't exist, a whole lot of records maybe wouldn't be looked at, you know? Yeah. Because um, there's amazing records coming out in Wales every year. Um, you know, some will be released internationally, others not, you know, and it's often nothing to do with the the quality of the record is just uh, the quality of the distribution, you know. Um, so, you, you know, I think uh, it's great to have just this window on you know, all, all awards are imperfect and everybody deserves an award, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, so, but it, I don't think it's a, a valuable award to have been set up, you know. Um, um, it's, it's uh, and that, you know, the, the some high-profile records will 
being shortlisted with records that have maybe got that are in danger of being lost, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's great to have um, these all these records coexisting and being um, hyped for want of a better word. Um, yeah. So that you know, so I can. I see the the purpose in it, and and I think it's um, and, you know it, it obviously it doesn't mean I'm, I'm sure there's tons of amazing records that have been left off, for example, um, but um, yeah. I can see the the value in it, although you know, it, I mean, not monetary value. Although the um, I heard the Scottish version have a cash price. So I get that. I can't believe it. <laughs> not, I don't think, I don't think Mogwai could either. <laughs> going on holiday to Thailand. Like Stuart Braithwaite went missing for two days after that. After that, he'd uh, pocketed the award, <laughs> or at least, yeah. at least he went. He went missing to the other members of his band. <laughs> yeah, I saw him. In he, he came to my yeah. show in Glasgow. I had a, a few drinks. <laughs> and, I hope um, he was paying. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, but yeah, but I I really see the the you know, the value of the idea with mm. with Welsh music praise, you know. Well, Griff, I've kept you on the I kept you on the phone for over an hour, so yeah. as is as is our tradition, we have to stop once we get to an hour. I'm sorry it took over an hour. I, we have this rule normally, don't we, that it's like if we can't get it done in an hour then it's not worth doing. So so I think we just about made it. Thanks uh, ever so good. much again. No, thank you. It's great to get an excuse to uh, hang out. Always. Even if it's a I know, I know, I know. Well, hopefully we'll get to do it properly at some time, not too distant future. Nice one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Welsh Music Prize Conversations with the 2021 shortlisted bands and artists. Diochan Vaudiaun, Am Rando, at Welsh Music Prize. That's the handle. We'd love to know what you think about the conversations. <laughs>